Gracious God, we pray for your insight. We pray for the softening of our own hearts by your grace. We pray that, Christ, you may be present and walk among your people, bringing us healing, hope, forgiveness, and mercy. In his name we pray, amen. So, I don't normally deliver sermons like this, especially on Thanksgiving, but this is what the lectionary dealt me this morning. The lectionary being our uh, cycle of three-year cycle of readings. You have fixed readings. So the lectionary said, here you go, Ryan. Here's a Thanksgiving sermon for you. <laughs> so this isn't necessarily going to be fully about Thanksgiving, although it has a Thanksgiving component, which I will get to. But it's a sermon that has a particular topic that it's intended to address. It's a topical sermon. I've never really addressed it before in a sermon and I don't think many churches address it, at least not well. And the topic, of course, is divorce. It's a topic that's in occasioned by today's scripture where Jesus offers his teaching on the subject. Not all of us here have been divorced, or will ever be divorced, nor will ever be married to begin with. But since we're the body of Christ, we are members of a whole, meaning that even if it isn't applicable to us directly, it's applicable to us, the people of Jesus who are empowered to love one another, especially during difficult times, divorce being one of the most difficult times that we can experience. So regardless of who we are and what our experience might be, the topic is worthwhile and necessary to be wrestled with together as a whole. Before we move further, though, I should probably tell you where our church, the United Church of Canada, stands on divorce. Where some churches may not allow divorce altogether or only in circumstances, certain circumstances, the United Church of Canada permits divorce without any well-defined rules. The 1962 statement, marriage breakdown, divorce, and remarriage, a Christian understanding that informs our basic position on the matter, simply says that there are circumstances in which the best interests of all persons involved, including children and society, that the marriage may be dissolved by divorce. That's, that's that. <laughs> Of course, the circumstances we can think of are many. There's adultery, of course. There's the single time or serial kind. There's coercion. There's abuse, spousal abuse of children or the other spouse, an absent or neglectful parent, selfish, egotistical personalities. There are what we call irreconcilable differences, differences of faith, philosophy, lifestyle, ones where one or both sides will not or cannot budge towards harmony or a compromise. Then, of course, there are always the, also the ways that pro prohibition on divorce has been used by abusers, especially men, over their wives to keep them from leaving, to keep control or avoid 
consequences for their own abuse. Nobody says that divorce is a good thing, but we can think of plenty of different, understandable, faithful circumstances where as hard and as painful as it may be, a marriage needs to come to an end. Okay? So that's where the church stands. So everyone for whom the scripture passage or content of this sermon was causing anxiety, you can breathe a sigh of relief now. In my own case, I wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fact that my mother divorced her first husband to marry my dad. So from where I stand, I guess you could say divorce is in my own personal self-interest. <laughs> okay, so that out of the way. Let's get to today's scripture passage. Even though we have many understandable reasons, in today's scripture passage, Jesus doesn't seem to be open to the idea. In fact, it represents one of Jesus' clearest teachings and one of his hardest teachings. Some Pharisees, a rival group of Jesus, to Jesus' own group, come to, seek, to Jesus seeking to trap him. Is it lawful, they ask, for a man to divorce his wife? It's a trap because the king, Herod the Great, divorced his wife to marry another woman. And his new wife divorced her previous husband to marry him. John the Baptist, the guy who baptized Jesus, criticized the king for this divorce. So he ended up in jail, and he also lost his head. So Jesus' life actually depends on his answer to this question. And Jesus, being very crafty, sort of sidesteps the question and asks another question. What's Moses have to say about it, he says. Basically meaning, what do the scriptures say about it? A man can divorce his wife, say the Pharisees. He can divorce his wife if he provides a certificate proving the marriage is over and giving her permission to marry somebody else. This is Moses' teaching from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. So you need, the man needs to provide a certificate that says they're divorced and she can remarry. And here's Jesus' response. Moses only made that exception, he says, on account of your hard-heartedness. Moses only allowed that because you're too stubborn, too cruel, and too thick-headed to stay married. You know, you're supposed to say zing, burn. Whoa. And then Jesus kicks it up a notch. He digs even deeper in the Bible, all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, back to the creation of the first human beings. From the beginning of the creation, he says, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and join his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in Jesus' view, marriage is a sort of reuniting. God's way of re-knitting together humanity. 
taking two separate individuals and then the two individuals bound together again as one. So in Jesus' mind, to divorce would be like dividing one person into two. Which, of course, is another zinger against Herod, actually. You'll notice Jesus sidesteps the trap because instead of answering yes or no to the divorce question and potentially getting his head chopped off, he answers with a deeper, more rigorous part of Scripture. Basically, Jesus here is saying, I'm not saying this is what Herod's doing, but hey, shouldn't we leave the things that God has put together intact? I'm not saying it, but I'm saying it. And if he was unclear with the Pharisees, we hear Jesus behind closed doors when he's alone with his disciples. Whoever divorces his wife, Herod, and marries another, commits adultery. Whoever divorces her husband, Herod's wife, and marries another, ditto. Another zing against Herod, safely from behind closed doors. So it's clear that Jesus is talking about one particular instance. The issue of a royal divorce, which how many people fought over Princess Diana and Prince Charles. Royal divorces, of course, have plenty of political implications. And of course, you want your rulers to be held to a high moral standard, maybe even higher than everybody else. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus' teaching on this can be extrapolated quite easily. Jesus, we ask, are we permitted to divorce? And Jesus answers, let no one separate what God has brought together. So with all of this in mind, what are we to do with a text like this? If the church has come to the conclusion that divorce should be permitted, which it has, if we can see many good, faithful reasons to allow it, what should we make of this teaching from Jesus? Should we simply ignore it and say it doesn't represent a true teaching of Jesus, that it's somehow inconsistent with the overall message and ministry of Jesus? Or should we say, it's from a different time, a different ancient place, that Jesus' hard-line stance on divorce is from a bygone era, and things are just different now? We could do either of those things. But one of the marks of the church and disciples of Jesus is that they put Jesus and his teachings above all others. If this teaching is one, simply one to discard, what about loving our enemies, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, and turning the other cheek? What makes this different from any of the other hard teachings? of Jesus. The difference, I think, is this. It's in how we read the Bible. When we go to the Bible, 
seeking answers, seeking guidance on questions, we tend to think about it in terms of how the Pharisees frame the question to Jesus. Is it lawful to do this, we ask, or is it against the law to do this? Give me a rule, Jesus, a straight yes or no answer, but the Bible isn't meant to work like that in most cases. You notice that Jesus doesn't even tend to work like that. Jesus instead is about less about which rules we must follow and more about revealing to us and pointing us towards the kind of people we were created to be. The people we're meant to be. And his teaching on marriage is no different. First, his comment about the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees not only applies to the Pharisees, it applies to us and every other human being. Jesus is right. Divorce is the product of human hard-heartedness, selfishness, unkindness, or an unwillingness to change. Whether it's our own hard-heartedness in some circumstances, or that of our spouses, or even circumstances and situations beyond us both, that bring us to that point. And we know that the result of a divorce is never clean cut. There's always an aftermath for us and children. There's always a wounding. It's like tearing one flesh in two. There's wounds. It's a product of human brokenness of one kind or another no matter whose fault it is. It's messy, and it's simply not good. Even so, of course, Jesus didn't just come only for perfect people. He didn't come for perfect couples. He didn't come for people who always do the right thing, nor did he come for people who are able to, through sheer will, have a Christ-like ability to hold out and save a marriage of their own strength. No. He came for the hard-hearted. Which isn't just the Pharisees, it's us in our human condition, our constant falling short and our inability to do what's right. And to us, to me, and you, he simply gives mercy and forgiveness to all who fall short. And as well, and this is, I think, the most important thing, the promise for a new start and a new life for all who seek it. God doesn't provide dead ends. So Jesus is right about that, that divorce is not good even when it's the right decision. The brokenness of our marriages is a mark of the brokenness of humanity. And yet it's the broken world that God loves and is at work healing, redeeming, making new. Grace is always an exception to our hard-heartedness. 
And that really is what makes even a rigid teaching like this one good news. Okay. So that's the first point I want to get out of the way. And here's the second point, and the second point is all about marriage. Jesus teaches us that marriage, above all other things, is a spiritual discipline. I mean, it's interesting just about how everybody cites this scripture passage to talk about divorce, to say, no, you can't. But few people really use it to talk about marriage. Because we all seem to assume we know what marriage means and what it's all about. In our culture, we tend to think of it as a contract between two individuals to maybe share some property. Or we tend to think of it primarily in terms of love and feelings for each other. But Jesus frames it differently in this passage. Remember how Jesus says that in the beginning God made each of them male and female so they can leave all others and no longer remain two but become one flesh? And then he says that God has joined them together? As usual, Jesus brings it all back to God. Jesus says that the end, the purpose of marriage, of committed relationships is the holy unity of two human beings, and together their unity with God. And of course, Jesus himself in the Christian tradition represents the marriage of heaven and earth, God and humanity together in one life. So it's saying that marriage itself is kind of like a microcosm of that relationship between God and humanity. It's God's relationship with humanity in miniature. So the biblical scholar Femi Perkins puts it like this, Jesus moves marriage from the realm of law by treating marriage as being grounded in God's creative love. This is still crucial for reflection, not because we want tough laws against divorce, but because we need to make Christian families what God intended them to be. Marriage is a practice, one intended to stabilize us and shape us and our families by God's love. Not a simple legal contract between two individuals, not just a matter of feeling or affection, though, of course, feeling and affection really helps. It's probably the most helpful thing in a marriage. But it's about what kind of world God is creating and what kind of people we are to become. Jesus tells us what marriages should be and should do for us. One that God uses to draw closer together in mutual love and growing and self-giving, submitting our self-interest to one another to learn how to be more like Jesus to each other through each other. So in the end, Jesus' answer isn't if simply if divorce is permitted or not permitted. Full stop. 
Jesus talks about the ends. He talks about the goal. Jesus doesn't answer in terms of laws or fixed rules. He answers in terms of gospel. The meaning, the purpose, the promise of marriage is part of God's design, God's will, God's desire for creation. It's one that, like in so much of life, we will inevitably fall short of. But marriage for Christians is a spiritual discipline. One for all of its difficulty, all of its pain and failure. Marriage itself is one of the ways God uses to make us more like Jesus. To grow so that together we reflect the image of Christ. That our families might be like the Trinity, distinct but one united in purpose and the unity of the love that binds us. That's the promise of this passage. That's the vision of this passage. That's the end. That's the goal. Meaning that the potential and beauty of marriage can always outweigh the risk of its destruction. Okay. So, here's the Thanksgiving part. With all of this in mind, this day, this Thanksgiving day, let's give God thanks for the blessings brought about by the gift of marriages. Perfect, imperfect, or broken. There is always some gift of grace. Even in the darkest places. That it is one of the many ways God uses to craft us, to help us grow further in the image of Christ. But let's also give God thanks for the good gift of grace. That in marriages that have not and do not lived up to God's good purposes, no matter the reason, that God brings us forgiveness, God brings us mercy, God brings us healing, and hope for the future in all the ways we fall short. So, thank you, Lord, this day for the gift of marriage and the gift of your amazing grace. Amen.